1: See, notice in verse 18, it does not say Jacob renamed him Benjamin. What it says, the same word is used, is that Rachel called him Benoni, or son of my sorrow, and Jacob called him Benjamin, or son of my right hand. So he's got two names. This boy has got two names from two people who see him completely differently from each other. One person sees no value in him and gives him the name son of my sorrow, son of my pain. Another person sees great value in him and calls him son of my power, son of my right hand. One person looks at him and says, I wish he was never born. The other person looks at him and says, I'm so glad he was born, he's very dear to me, he will give me power in my weakness. One person looks at him and says, he's the reason for my pain and sorrow. Another person looks at him and says, he's the reason for my strength and joy. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing at the end of verse 18 is a prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This dual naming of Jacob's last son as both Benoni and Benjamin, we see this. In the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ was brought into the temple, and Simeon was the priest, and he gave a prophecy, a very important prophecy, about the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 234. In Luke 234, it says, And Simeon blessed them. So that would be, you know, here's Mary and Joseph, and they come with a baby Jesus. And Simeon blessed them. They came, they wanted a baracha, they wanted a blessing. And so Simeon the priest, he blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, that's always a big, ver- big word in the Bible. It means look at this, take careful notice of this. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. So here comes the couple, Mary and Joseph. It's a great day, and they're bringing Jesus to the temple, and they want a blessing for the new child. And you can picture him, you can picture him coming there and, and they're waiting. Oh, let's hear what the priest has to say, you know. I mean, and again, nothing's boring, it's always a surprise. And so the, the priest says, Behold, this child is set. That means that God has appointed or constituted that this child will be for the fall of many in Israel, and also for the rising again of many in Israel. Now when this verse says, the rising again, and the word again, you see the word again there. Well, if you have King James, you'll see the word again. What we need to know is that the word again does not appear in the Greek. So the original manuscript does not have the word again. It was added by the King James translators. It should have been put, a word put in italics. Again, should have been in italics to indicate that it's added. And there's a problem, and there's, a, there, there's something not so great, and there's something great. About having the word again, if we understand it the right way, the problem with putting the word again in this verse is that it leads us to it could lead us to think, well, every Jewish person is going to fall and then rise again. you know like that's not what it means. The good part about having the word again in there in this verse is if it leads us to see that Jewish people all Jewish people do fall as all people fall, that some rise again, and so it says in Romans 3:23 fall of sin and come short of the glory of God. And then you, you put that together with John 1, 11 and 12. He came unto his own. His own received him not, but they fell. But as many as received him, they rose again. To them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So all Israel, like us, fell into sin. Most of the Jewish people stayed fallen by not receiving him, but there were as many. There was a group called the as many that did receive him. and They rose up, and they became the sons of God. So the word fall in the Greek here, it means misery. It means suffering. It means ruin. So he predicted the fall, and it was predicted here. And he knew that too. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that, and it broke his heart. This was his heartbreak in his life. And when he was standing there in Luke 19, 42, before the Jewish people, he said, in Luke nineteen forty two, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, thy shalom, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days will come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. See, because they didn't let the Lord Jesus Christ protect them, because they didn't let them protect Jerusalem, it fell in 70 AD to Titus, and he wanted to protect them. He said, I don't want this to happen to you. And that's what was the whole background between Matthew 23, 37, Matthew 23, 37. This is when he's saying, I don't want this to happen. So he cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. And this is unbelievable. He says, I tried, I tried, I tried. And what did you do to my prophets? What did you do to my messengers? He killed them. How often would I have gathered thy children together? He sends one prophet after another. He sends one messenger after another. They kill one right after the other. He said, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And you would not. And then he says, behold, your house is left unto, thee, unto you desolate. So we see from Simeon's prophecy that the Lord Jesus was set for both the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And Isaiah spoke about these two aspects of the Lord in Isaiah 8.14, Isaiah 8.14, where he said, and he shall be for a sanctuary. That's good. He shall be for a sanctuary and for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a jinn and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So just like Benjamin had two opposite names of son of sorrow and son of power. We see the Lord had two opposite names also of a sanctuary and a stone of stumbling. So when it says in this verse, he shall be for a sanctuary, that uses a wonderful, great Hebrew word for sanctuary that we see, uh, one of the first times we see that, and it's famous, because that's a word that's used to describe the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8. It's the mission statement for the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8. And let them make me a sanctuary. That's the same word. That I may dwell among them. Sanctuary that's used here in Isaiah 8.14, when it says, and, and he shall be for a sanctuary, is the same word that describes the purpose of the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8. So God could dwell among them. The tabernacle represents the Emmanuel. The, God, the tabernacle represents the God with us aspect. So the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's Emmanuel in Isaiah seven fourteen. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our Emmanuel. He's our I-M with, God with us. He's our togetherness with God, Emmanuel. Is God with us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our tabernacle. He's our tabernacle. He's our sanctuary. Just like it says in John 1, 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So as we look at him, we say his name is sanctuary. His name is sanctuary. He means he's our refuge. We we run to him when we're in danger, sanctuary. You know, the place we find safety. You know, we're just like Adonijah, and Joab, during Solomon's day, when they knew they were in deep trouble with Solomon, they ran to the temple, grabbed hold of the horns of the altar, for safety. First Kings one fifty and First Kings two twenty eight. But for us, from Psalm forty six one, God is our refuge. Behold, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And Proverbs eighteen ten, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. But for others, Isaiah 8.14, it's not talking about a sanctuary. It's talking about a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You know, a stone of stumbling, that's a stone you trip on. You fall. You hurt yourself. And we were told they fell because it was a rock of offense. They were offended at him. They were offended. They were offended at him. Why? There's so many reasons. They were offended at him because of his occupation, it wasn't great in Israel. He said in Mark 6, 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, are not his sisters with us? They were offended at him. They were offended at him. They were offended at him because of the trouble that they would have from following him. It says in Matthew thirteen twenty one. Yet hath he not root in himself? He's describing one of the grounds that the seed falls in. This one ground springs up and then dies away. He says, the reason is, yet hath he not rooted himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he's offended. It's hard to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not easy. Especially for those in the book of Hebrews. It says in Hebrews ten thirty four, they lost. He said, But you had compassion on me and my bounds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. What's that mean? That means their goods were spoiled. Knowing in heaven, you have knowing in heaven, you have a better and enduring substance. Their belongings were stolen from them. You know, the police just stood by. Oh, those are those Christians. Oh, do what you want. They because they followed the Lord Jesus Christ, and some were, were very happy to follow the Lord Jesus Christ until the cost came, and then it was like, whoa, we are offended because of the cost. Like my rabbi friend, who was happy when he came here to receive the Lord Jesus from New York until his wife threatened him with divorce, threatened him with loss of his children, threatened him with the loss of his home, the loss of his family, loss of his friends, loss of his business, loss of his community. And then my rabbi friend became offended by the Lord Jesus and he recanted. Why? Because of all he would lose, which is what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew eleven six. Hey, if you can follow me without being offended in me, you are blessed, he said in- in Matthew eleven, six. Blessed is he who is whosoever shall not be offended in me. They were offended in him, because he said their hearts were dirty with sin, and, and that they would used traditions to add to the word of God, and then taught it like it was the word of God. And that offended them. When he said in, in, in Matthew fifteen, Matthew fifteen six, he says, Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, which he was speaking of from the heart, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, knowest thou, knowest thou that the, the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? They were offended at him because he exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their replacement of the word of God by their traditions. He exposed the moral defilement in their heart. He exposed it all and they were offended. They were offended at him because of the way he died on a cross because his cross became an offense in Galatians 5.11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. The offense of the cross. The cross is a horrible way to die. The cross is the ultimate humiliation and the de-dignification of man. It was a curse, as it says in Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone, that hangeth on a tree. So the idea of following a leader like that, that was offensive. So one part of the Jewish people looked at him and saw him as very dear, and they called him our sanctuary that we run into. Another part of the Jewish people looked at him and saw him as very offensive and called him a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. These were two groups of the Jewish people when you look at Rachel and Jacob, we've got to see them as representing two groups in the Jewish people. Rachel, one group of the Jewish people, looks at her son and says, I see Benoni, the son of my sorrow, the son of my pain. Another group of Jewish people represented by Jacob, Jacob, he looks at him and says, I don't see that. I see the son of my right hand. I see the son of my power. Just as one group of the Jewish people looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, I see a Jewish person who caused me sorrow and pain. And another smaller group, represented by Jacob, of Jewish people looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I see my sanctuary, I see my dear refuge. When Rachel looked at her son, and she called him the son of my sorrow, the son of my pain, she was saying, he has caused my sorrow and pain. You know, when we talk to Jewish people, when I talk to Jewish people, anybody talks about Jewish people, about becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they inevitably go to their history and they talk about the Crusaders and they talk about the Inquisition and all the death and the sorrow and the sadness and the pain. And what they say is that all those people did that to them in the name of Christ. So therefore, they are saying that a Jewish man you know, that's the Lord Jesus Christ they are talking about. A Jewish man caused their sorrow and pain. Just like Rachel said that her son caused her sorrow and pain. Now, Peter explains this more to us of why he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And if you want to like to turn to it at First Peter 2.7, First Peter 2.7, we can look at this verse together, First Peter 2.7, because Peter here, he helps us understand Why were they offended? Because he tells us in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. First of all, he says, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. That's a name. That's the Jacob name for Benjamin. He's precious. Call him precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected or refused, the same as the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, That's the Rachel name for Benjamin, son of my pain. He's a stone of stumbling. A rock of offense, either to them that stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto they were appointed. Because they stumble at the word, that's what he's saying. Peter's saying because he stumbled at the word. He's speaking about the cornerstone here, the cornerstone of a building from which the whole building gets its direction. The cornerstone of a building, it sticks out at the corner. You ever then It's not so much here, but you know those big buildings in Washington, D.C.? You know, they got this big cornerstone that sticks out. You better be careful. You're going to walk right into it because it sticks out from the building. Now, for us, the Lord Jesus Christ is precious because we believe, we've chosen to build our lives on him as our cornerstone by obeying the word of God. But for them, it's like they're running along and they hit this big stone Sticking out of the side of the building gets in their way. They stumble at it, and when they consider a Jewish person believing on Jesus, on the Lord Jesus Christ, just like um, a couple days ago, I don't remember uh, it's Thursday or Friday. But anyway, I was, in, I was getting ready to go to the elevator to visit one of my many doctors, <laughs> the cardiologist. Anyway, and um, there's this lady, and she's in a motorized wheelchair, and and she's you know, coming around lines and. Said, and, and she has this accent, and I said, where are you from? You know, okay, she's from New York. And I said, oh, okay, are you Jewish? Yes, of course, you know, she says, you know. And Anyway, and so then, you know, I reached in my pocket, and uh, I said, well, I got something to give you. I got a great treasure to give you. Well, you're sort of a little book. How a Jew came to know and put his trust, and she's reading, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, she said. She gives it back. She, I just, no, I won't take it. I said, are you sure? Yes. And so I was standing outside the elevator. She was still in the elevator because I got off on my floor. She was going up higher. And so the door was starting to shut. I said, You're absolutely sure because the door's shutting. I said, On your opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, just like this elevator door. She said, No. The way she looked at me, when she saw, Oh, yeah, how would you came to know? Oh, that looks nice. When she saw the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, she was offended. And when she was offended, and that's where this word is so interesting here and when it says here, it says the Greek word for offense in the verse we're looking at in First Peter is the word scandalon, scandalon, from where we get the word scandal. You know, in my home when I was growing up, I understood exactly why she did that because in my home when I was growing up, no one was allowed to say the name of Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ. It was a scandal. It was scandalous to say that name. And the meaning here, the, word, uh, the underlying meaning of this word scandalon, in Greek is that it's a trap, you know, like a spring-loaded mousetrap. You approach it and touch it, it will snap, and it'll shut, and it'll kill you. So the idea behind scandalon here is that if you approach the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a trap that'll shut on you and hurt you, just like, just like Rachel. Just like Rachel when she called her son, son of my sorrow, son of my pain. He brings sorrow. He brings pain. But, and, and, but, but Jacob says, no, son of my right hand, son of my power. So Jewish believers in Israel, they're like Jacob. And they look at the Lord Jesus Christ like Jacob looked at Benjamin. And Jacob looked at Benjamin and says, son of my right hand. Jewish believers call the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua, which means salvation. But Jewish non-believers in Israel, they're like Rachel. And they look at Benjamin and they say, son of my sorrow. And Jewish non-believers call the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't say Yeshua. They say Yeshu, Yeshu, which is an acronym. Yeshu is an acronym for Yimach Shmo, Vezikro. So what that means is the first word is Yimach, means obliterate, obliterate, wipe out. Shmo means his name, his name, and Vezikro and his memory. So what, what they're saying when they say Yeshu, is that, it, is that they're saying, may his name and memory be obliterated, be wiped away, erased. Okay? And so they call him Yeshu. It's like Rachel called him son of my sorrow, son of my pain. And, and believers call him Yeshua, which is, which is salvation. It's like Jacob called him son of my right hand. That's why Jews for Jesus, when, when they have, hold out their big banners, they say, you know, uh, Yeshu, equals, they have equal sign, Yeshua. <laughs> That's what they already do. All right. Both groups are Jewish, but just like Rachel and Jacob, they look at the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, just like, just like Rachel and Jacob look at the same son. One group, just like Rachel, curse him with the name, you know, may his name, son of my sorrow, may his name and, and memory be obliterated. He calls me sorrow and pain. Other group, just like Jacob, looking at him calls him Salvation. Now, you look at First Peter, and I got a question for you. How did they stumble? What did they do? Look at this verse in First Peter and tell me, how did they stumble? How does the verse say they stumbled? At the word, and specifically by being disobedient. So when it comes to the word of God, there's a critical crossroad that comes in, whether or not to obey it. The Lord Jesus Christ described, okay, when a person sees the word of God, there's two steps. There's two steps. He says that in John thirteen seventeen. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. He didn't say you be happy if you know it, if you know the word of God. Happiness comes when you obey the word of God.
0: Start 2017 off right at Sunday Night Church. Join Bible teacher Tom Cantor on New Year's Day for evening worship at the Friendship with God Fellowship services located at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Sunday, January 1st, it's the first day of the new year, but also the last day of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. To commemorate Hanukkah, we'll have a menorah lighting, amazing soft desserts, latkes, Hanukkah music, history of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah dreidel games and more. Our food and dessert fellowship starts at 4.30 p.m. and then 5.30 p.m. We'll hear an inspiring New Year's Bible message from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. If you're not in San Diego, you can live stream services and watch messages at friendshipwithgod.org. Celebrate 2017 and the last night of Hanukkah with dreidels, drinks, desserts, and more on Sunday evening worship with Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship located at the Creation and Earth History Museum on Woodside Avenue North in Santee. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org.